Good morning, church. Uh, what a delight to be with you and uh, here in the house online. And uh, we are going to dive into God's Word. We're just going to go at it. So if you would grab your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. We're beginning James chapter 4. And just to kind of set our uh, kind of background, our eyes on where we're at here in James 4, a couple reminders about what proceeds. James chapters 2 and 3. Uh, James chapter 2 and 3 really kind of, if you remember, uh, begin out and flare out this whole showing reality of our lives. It shows out in the beginning of James chapter 2, God's people, no partiality. No partiality should be showing in in your lives. And then uh, it's after that, God's people, your faith is to show. Faith is not just some thing we believe. It's not just something that's stuck in our head. Uh, Faith is something that shows. It exudes itself. Uh, Our faith shows. And then after that, it was uh, your talk, God's people, your talk, your tongue. It shows the very course of your life. What's going on in the heart comes out of the mouth and what's taking place. And then it's God's people, uh, wisdom from above shows. Uh, Wisdom from above is not just like some Zen aura, Yoda, kind of a floating, glowing thing. And it's also not just a strict group of knowledge that I can do a test better than you can. Uh, Wisdom shows, and it shows in life, and it's supposed to show. James is just in this, faith shows, your talk shows, wisdom shows. And today, uh, we're going to get after this interesting opening statement. Um, God's people... Uh, the fights and quarrels among you shows what's, in, what's going on within your heart, shows what's going on within. He's always bringing the, the show back into the what's happening inside. So let me begin here uh, with verse 1, and I'll read that. What causes quarrels? Uh, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. Well, let's hold there. Again, you've heard me almost every Sunday. James just like makes a statement. He puts a subject on the table. He kind of grabs our attention with it, and then he explains it on out from there. But let's sit on this verse here just for a couple. A couple things. What's the question? Well, here's the question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Uh, what causes those? What causes? What James is asking here is what's the source of, what's behind, uh, what's the root of the reality that's coming out in that. What causes that? I mean, what causes that? Why do we fight? Why do we quarrel? Hmm. We're going to get there. But then it's fights and quarrels. And I, I put it fights and quarrels because fights is the, uh, is in the Greek, uh, fights is kind of the general war. It's the big war. It's the whole of the war. Quarrels kind of ha- carries this idea of the, the, the specific wars. But when you think about World War I, when you think about World War II, I mean, you have the war as a whole that's going on. But then within the war as a whole, you have these various battles with what's taking place in these. And the various battles are comprised within the whole of the war. Why are these fights, why are these uh, specific battles going on and they, and they make up the continual campaigning of war? By the way, that's what James is talking about here. He's not, not talking about the here and the there, the struggles and the, okay, it, it applies to that, but James is particularly talking to this continual war that's going on. Why is that? Why is that? And note here, he says, among you, 
It's really a big deal. He's not just talking like this is something for the world. This is not something for the believer in Christ to go, oh, I know something and I need to tell all my friends who don't know Christ about. Uh, Listen, I'll tell you this. James is not directing it to them. James is directing it to me and you. James is directing this to who he's writing this letter to, a scattered messianic believers uh, some 15, 17 years after the resurrection of Christ who are figuring out what it looks like to be a people in foreign countries uh, living for the Lord. And he's t- calling them and he's saying, listen, I have a word for you in this. And I have a question. What's the fights and the quarrels going on among you? What's happening here? And then he answers his own question, really. He says, uh, your passions... It's your passions that are at war within you. These words, passions, it's that activated, that, that, that thinking in the soul that arises and awakes a want. It's not just like, yeah, that'd be cool. You know, it's deeper than that. It's like, I want, it's I desire, it's I crave. And really what James is talking about here, it moves into I must have. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. It's your passions. It's inside. And they're at war. It's a state of mind war. It's a, it's a hostile conflict of what I desire. And it's going in this opposing antagonistic thing with inside me and you. Every one of us knows this. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter whether you're man or woman. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter what skin color you have. I'm telling you, friends, what James is talking about here is going on in every one of us in this room. And this is a war that's going on within. So, James, can you explain more of what you're talking about here? And he's like, oh, yeah, I can. That's the way I do it. So here we go. Let me read verses 2 through 4. He explains it some more. Verse 2 It's like this, you guys. That's not in your text, but that's where he's going. You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, because you do not ask, by the way. You see, also, you ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly. Not with the wrong words, but you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people. Boom. You get the idea James is like taking this quite serious? It's literally, it would be a literal translation, it would be you adulteresses. You adulteresses people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of this world makes himself, makes herself an enemy of God. Uh, know this, friends, this is not a uh, harsh word just to be harsh. James is giving a loving word that needs to be heard. All right, there's a big difference. And, and this is a loving word that needs to be heard, and here he explains out what he's saying, the passions at war within you. Like, James, what do the passions at war within us look like? Here's what they look like. Go to verse 2, again, coming back. You desire... You, you, you desire something, but it, you have this strong desire. You have this craving to secure something. You want. You want. Uh, desiring in its basic state isn't wrong. Desires aren't wrong. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. I'll, come, I'll add on to that, but I'll just put that out front. Know this. Sin is not occurring with desires. Uh, sin is what comes after 
and where that goes. In fact, James 1.14, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You see, it's not the desire, but there's this luring. Uh, think of a fish swimming in the water, and blink, there goes the lure, and it's hanging there, and he can't help that it all of a sudden shows up, and it looks yummy to a fish. It's the desire. It just happens. It's just there, if you will, um, but it's when it's conceived and gives birth, and we'll work that on out. You desire, and you do not have. It's you do not have. It's kind of building on the desire. It's, it's the attraction of wanting that lure. It's swimming around it more and more, and luring it, luring you into it. And think about it. All of a sudden, when it's bit if I can say within the movement of the text, murderous results take place. By the way, fishermen, I'm not calling you murderers. But you know what I'm talking about. That's the picture that James is giving here. Matthew 5, 21 to 22, Jesus links the whole idea of murderous activity with that of having anger with another. It's also the same in 1 John 3.15. A hatred of a brother is associated with a murderous-like activity in that. So we could all say, friends, we are all murderers. Biblically, that is true. Biblically, that is true. You desire and you do not have. And then he goes on to explain it. It's also like this. You covet you see something. You must have it. You see others or another uh, thing, and, and it's like, you must have that. And it's interesting, the 10th commandment, Exodus twenty seventeen: you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's things. It includes, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife in it as well. You covet and you cannot obtain Again, it's this followers of Christ, they, they see it, and it's like, I'd like that. In fact, I'm going to keep swimming around that. In fact, I'm going to give my increasing attention to that. In fact, you just, I, I'm, I'm hanging on it. I'm luring it around me, and, and I'm there, and I can't get it. And so uh, in this, uh, James says, you can't obtain, and so you unleash this war. And then he adds this, you have not because you ask not. I think James is not only leading into his next statement, but I think James is a pastoral leader. Remember, James in his day was a leader over the church in Jerusalem. He is now leader over these churches, writing to them, kind of, if I can say, in a pastoral type of manner. And one of the things about that is, is that you, as you are involved with more and more people, you see habits and traits. And, and it's not just of you, but it's also you become more aware of yourself and what goes on with it. And, and James here is, is writing and telling these uh, lovely people, and he's one of the things he's telling them is, is saying, you know, frankly, guys, you, you don't have what you covet, and part of the reason for that is because you don't ask the Lord for it. But then he carries that into the next statement. You ask, verse 3, you ask. He acknowledges the likelihood that they're asking, but he's noting a problem in it. Uh, you ask, but you ask selfishly. 
you, you, you ask to get what you want. You ask to have your objectives accomplished. You ask with the intentions to make life easier or simple. We know all what it is, right? God's kind of like the big Santa in the sky. And, and pull that vending machine lever of prayer, and we expect just sitting there at the drop point, and we're just waiting for it to happen. And yet, oftentimes, God's like, no, you, you see, see in this, this doesn't necessarily function that way. I do say come and ask, and I will give, but know this, I am more interested in the heart behind what's going on. And let's carry it back into James chapter 1. Trials are tests of your faith. And trials are tests of your faith, producing steadfastness in you. And when steadfastness in you is compounded upon it, that becomes maturity in you. And God's like, that's what I love. I am more interested in your maturity than I am in your comfort. As I've heard it said, God is a perfecting God, not a pampering God. And yet we treat God like he's a pampering God. And he says, you ask and you do not receive. Let me just straight up say it this way. God's no dope. God's no Santa Claus dope. And yet sometimes I, sometimes we treat God like he is the vending machine God. Just give me what I want, Lord. And God's like, no, I, I don't work that way. By the way, I want to tell you, verse 3 is a tragic blow to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Massive blow to that. Come to Jesus, and you'll have a check in the mail. All your things will be taken. Or better, send me money for my jet. I don't have one. And, and uh, in that, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, listen, friends, that is an absolute blow to that whole thinking. That Jesus is all about your and my prosperity, that's heresy. God is all about your and my maturity. Okay? Vast difference. And that approaches how we pray. And that's what leads into verse 4. I'm calling it, you adulterize. Now you'll type that in word, and it'll come up red underlined like there is no word. But I looked at the dictionary, there is a word. So it began as a dugism, but then I felt, okay, it's actually a real word. Adulterize. You adulterize. Uh, literally, it's you adulteresses. Again, this is not a word to be mean. This is not a word to be hurtful. This is actually terminology that James, again, James writing to Messianic uh, Jews who knew their Old Testament. This terminology right here is Old Testament terminology. And James is speaking Old Testament terminology, and James is kind of speaking as an Old Testament prophet in that kind of a role. And he's pulling this together, and he's saying, listen, friends, God's people, when you are doing this, you are adulteresses with the Lord. That's how serious this is. This isn't just an oopsie. This is kind of like we get caught in the Proverbs 5 thing, the forbidden woman who just lures. Come on, come. The lure and the what? Come on. And he, in that Proverbs 5, he talks about like you are just end up being a dope walking down until she's got you. It also is the whole Old Testament story of Hosea. Hosea and Gomer. What's her name with that name? Um, Hosea. Uh, living's true story. God asked him to marry Gomer, and Gomer uh, is 
not uh, faithful to him. And she leaves, and God says, go get her. And then she leaves again, and God says, go get her. And God is literally providing this living picture of the Lord with his people, with his people Israel in the Old Testament. This is what it's like. You are unfaithful. I am faithful. You are unfaithful, but I am faithful again and again and again. And I really think the point is, is therefore your eyes not only need to be motivated to, to be, have fidelity with me, but know this, I'm the one that holds it together. You are not awesome, God is awesome. And here in this, you adulteresses, and we need to be reminded of that. Friends, I need to be reminded of that. Sin and the falling into sin, the luring into sin, the walking in sin, it's not just an oopsie, it's an offensive to God. And we lighten it too much. You adulterize, and I'm terming it here, and you bed with the world. You bed with the world. A friendship here, it talks about friend, you know, friendship with the world versus friendship with God. You know, nowadays, particularly with online things, which is great, you know, we have friends and you know, people can friend you and that, but, but the word friend is, in English has gotten uh, lighter and lighter and lighter and more casual, 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 and just someone who follows you online, uh, if you will. But in the, in, the, in the scriptures, in this point of time, when you use this word, it carried this idea of a commitment and a covenant. It, this is more like BFFs. If I can carry it in that way. I mean, this is more like really good friends. This is like David and Jonathan uh, in it that we may get into next year. But David and Jonathan, where there's a friendship that is secured together, and he's talking about this idea. Friends with the world, friends with God. Don't bed with the world. Uh, James 2, 23, Abraham is called a friend of God. How cool is that? A friend of God, a committed, covenanted relationship with God. Uh, don't be a living bedfellow with the world. Literally, the question can be asked. Friends, how often every day do we jump in bed with the world? That's really where James is going here. And again, he's not trying to crush us. He's trying to kind of lovingly call us to see the reality of what's taking place. And I would say that in this, something important to see in all this is there are deliberate choices. You desire, you do not have, so you go to war. You covet, you cannot obtain, so I can say it again, so you go to war. It's choice. You ask, you do not receive, so you make the deliberate choice to go to war. You adulterize, you bed with the world. That is a deliberate choice against, the God, against our God. And let me note that Adam and Eve chose the lure of something more than what God had had for them. Israelites, they chose a forbidden, or I'm sorry, a physical golden calf over the Lord. They chose that. David chose the lure of pleasure. Judas chose the lure of cash. John Mark, with Paul and Barnabas going on the first missionary journey, and, and he leaves, I think, chose the lure of personal ease because it was hard. And we all get those. We all get those, but there's a choice. And let me pull it together with something that uh, truly, I mean this, has been 
transforming in my own life. Um, none of this is new in what I'm about to say. I was taught, so I'm just regurgitating what has been taught to me over the years and has been a transform, transforming thing for myself and my wife having to do with the war that's going on within. I'd call it this way. There are four choice points, or there are four stages to the war within. Uh, they're kind of encapsulated here with James, but I'll do them in these words. Number one, I desire. I desire something. Uh, uh, desires alone are not wrong. The desire to be loved is not a bad desire. The desire to be respected, the desire for safety, the desire for security, the desire for acceptance, the desire for friends, the desire for a spouse, the desire for a family, the desire for money, the desire for appreciation, the desire for peace, which, by the way, how interesting is it that what causes quarrels and fights among you follows peace conversation? Wisdom brings peace. It also, desire can be good in just wanting to accomplish life goals. Nothing is wrong with those. Nothing is sinful innately about those things. But when I desire moves to I demand, something is now changing. Something is now changing. I demand. When I desire moves to I demand. When it moves to I must have, look out. You're on the path to idolatry. You're on the path to friends with the world. You're on your way on the path to passions and the war within you uh, uh, losing that battle for the Lord. When I desire shifts to I deserve. Oh, I deserve it. Man, how many commercials today? Oh, you deserve a brand new car. Really? I'll take it. Uh, you deserve a giant bag of Dove Jark chocolates. And all of God's people said and sisters. When it moves into, I can't be without it. I have to have it. That desire has moved into a demand. And we're in territory that we're about to lose the war. Then it moves to, I judge. I demanded that, and, and now I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that from you. I'm not getting that from you all. What I desired, what I demanded, I'm not getting that. Uh, therefore, well, you're bad. We could even go to the point of, are you even a Christian? We can even go to the point, we may not be saying it, but essentially we are thinking it, well, you are an unbiblical husband, well, you are an unbiblical wife, if you knew what the scripture said, you wouldn't be doing that. And we get after the speck in others' eyes as opposed to the log in our own. Watch it, friends, watch it, friends. They are wrong, they are unloving, they are unprincipled, they are unbiblical. You are a miss-the-mark friend, you are a miss-the-mark spouse, you are a miss-the-mark child, you are a miss-the-mark parent. You are a miss-the-mark pastor, you are a miss-the-mark church. Bad territory, I desire, I demand, I judge, and then that moves into, lastly, I punish. Well, because you don't hit the mark, because you don't need meet my desired expectations, I will respond by punishing you. And what is that? It might be lashing out in anger. It might be withholding yourself physically, emotionally. It might just be, I'm leaving. It, could, it might be, I'm going to get even. 
It could be, I'm going to inflict harm on you. I'm going to spew threats. I'm going to give you the silent treatment. It could be, I'll show you. I'm just going to fall into an addiction. I'll go on a spending spree. That'll teach you. I will just do what I know you dislike to punish you. And friends, every one of us does this every day. So let's not be holy about ourselves. We know this process. We know these stage points. And James, I think, is essentially pulling us, stated in a different way, these four move points are what James is talking about. And James is like, listen, you want to know what causes fights and quarrels among you? You want to know what causes fights and quarrels among you as a church? You want to know what causes fights and quarrels among you in your home? There you go. That process, every time. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. Church, we can see these stages in our world. I mean, think about it with me. I'm going to push some buttons here. But think about it with me. Well, I desire blank president. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want that president? <laughs> I demand that. I demand that president for me to be able to have security into my future. Oh, and the fact that you are for the other guy, well, dirtbag. In fact, I'm going to punish you. And that can be done in all sorts of ways. And by the way, buckle up after November 4th. I'm dead serious about it. Because punishing is going to be coming out. Either way. Let me just put it this way with our world. Uh, we desire justice. By the way, God desires justice. Oh, oh, we demand justice, and I'll put it this way, and we demand justice our way. And because you don't demand justice that way, well, <laughs> and so we're going to punish. But it's not just the world. James is writing to believers. We can see these stages in our homes. We've already alluded to it. I demand peace in this house. I desire peace, but when it moves to I demand, and you're not giving me peace, you got the picture. Uh, I desire, you fill in the blank. And now I demand. Well, he gets that, she gets that. Well, now I'm judging you. You are an unbiblical husband. You are an unbiblical wife. And therefore, I have every right to punish you. By the way, might I just put in this whole thing, God says that God will bring vengeance. God will take care of things perfectly. Our place is not vengeance. That's the Lord's place. And let me bring it even into local churches, just as an example, and then I've got to move. I desire that you have blank ministry. Oh, I demand that you have blank ministry program. You don't have that ministry program? Well, apparently you don't love people. Well, I'm going to punish you by, you fill in the blank. Hey friends, I'm just bringing it home. We all get this. And so what does James do? After James lays this out, he puts uh, two references to scripture. 
How perfectly fitting is that? Let, let me read those uh, for us here. He has two references to Scripture and then six calls that I'll finish with. Verses five and six. Or do you suppose that, to, that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Verse six, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Boy, if we were in a class setting, this would be a fun passage to spend literally an hour or two. And I say that because uh, verse 5 is actually one of, uh, some commentators call it, one of the hardest uh, uh, verses in all of the New Testament to translate clearly. So there's some different perspectives on this. So I, I handle it with lightness and no one can be dogmatic about it. But I think... So I'll say it this way, I kind of side with the commentarians who, who look towards that. I think this first thing that James is referencing to in the English Standard Version, it says that he, God, yearns jealously over the Spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the soul, the person, the inward spirit that he has made to dwell in us. In other words, God put life in us. And I think that it's talking about how fitting is it after this. There's this fighting and quarreling, and yet it brings that God desires to have control of you. Uh, maybe God desires, he jealously desires to be in that space within the war that's going on inside of you. God wants to reign there. God desires jealously to be there. He wants to be there in the movement and in the process of this war that takes place probably a thousand times a day in us. God wants to be there. He jealously yearns to be in that, to dwell in that place in this process. And then the next scripture, verse six, uh, uh, but grace, love that. As a church over the years, here's a church out of Ephesians 2, uh, verse uh, 4. It begins with, but God. And that's been a statement over the years here. And I love this, but it adds, but grace. You see, in the war within that God, I think it's saying, that God jealously yearns to dwell in that war within. Know this, but grace reigns over that war. That's what God wants to have happen. God wants his grace to reign over that in what's taking place. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The statement I'm going to make here might perk your ears up a little bit, but grace does require something. Look at the text. Grace does require something. The text says it. Grace opposes the proud, but grace is given when what? When we are humble. Think about it. Has there been a time in your life where you've come and driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as your Savior, understanding that you are a sinner separated from God because of sin, and that only through the shed blood and work of Jesus Christ, only through that gift received, that grace work received as a grace work upon you, has there a moment in your time, whereas, hear me, where you have humbled yourself to receive the grace of God? And called out. Listen, that doesn't happen for the proud person. That doesn't happen to the, ah, not interested, ah, whatever. Good for you, good for God, good for whatever. Listen, I'm just, there's a proud place there, and grace does not reign there. 
Grace reigns in humility, and we're talking about the war within, and grace reigns in a place where there is a humble reality that is taking place there. Grace demands a response. Grace demands the response of humility. So many other things I could say, but I've got to go. What causes fights and quarrels? Answer, the passions that were within you. The quarrels, the fights, they begin and they continue when our passions are wrapped in pride. But God here is saying, uh, when your passions are wrapped in humility, my grace will be there. And we could draft off of what was said earlier because the chapter breaks sometimes in our minds, makes it a whole conversation change, and it isn't. But the wisdom of God reigns there. Think about that. God desires that his wisdom and his grace reigns within the war that's taking place within us. And in that, I desire, I demand, I judge, I punish. God's wisdom needs to reign there. God's grace needs to reign there. And God's wisdom and grace changes that whole process. It stops it. Like, what does it look like? Here we go, quick six uh, imperative statements. Verse seven, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It's like, therefore, in light of what I've just said, Here's where you go, submit. Submit. Now, there's a dirty word in our culture. By the way, the person who says, I don't submit to no one, pride is reigning right there. And you connect the dots then. Pride is reigning right there, and God just said God opposes the proud. His grace is not uh, poured over the proud. And here is, but in humility, uh, uh, submit, hupotasso, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that all God's people are to submit to one another. Do you know that? In this hupotasso, I use the word yield because the word submit has so much English baggage to it. The idea of hubotasso here that's being talked about is yield. It's no you first. That's the idea. Why do we push back on that? Because we're proud. Because I'm first. I'm first in this fight. I'm first in this battle. By the way, do you see what's happening there? I am demanding. I have moved past desiring and I've moved into demanding. Yield. You go to get on the highway? You know, the proud... The proud jerk, okay, I'm preaching now, you get on the on-ramp, and the proud is the one who's like, full throttle, I don't care about any of you already on the highway, it's my highway. And they come in, and that's when you pray judgment, <laughs> right? What's with that? That's not, that's not yielding. Instead, the law is, is when you come on, it's like, you first. That's what, that's what the word is. Why is there so much pushback on that? Because we're proud in the heart. And dang it, I gotta have my way. And God opposes the proud. But to the humble... You first, God gives grace. Submit yourselves. It is a deliberate choice. Next, resist. See that? Resist the devil. He will flee from you. This is what kind of that process in the I 
desire, I demand, I judge, I punish. No, resist, resist the devil. It's a voluntary action. It's a voluntary activity of fitting a war where it's like, no, 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 I, I'm not going to go to battle in a sinful way. I'm not going to do that. It's a lure. I'm not going to allow my desire to go into I demand. I'm not going to, maybe I'm already at the demand point. I'm not going to logo this any further. No, no, no. I, Satan, get away from me. James chapter 1 already talked about I got enough sin in me. I don't even need Satan around the room. No, I resist. And then verse 8, draw near to God. Submit yourselves. Resist. Go to war against Satan. And draw near to God. It's personal movement to God. And it's knowing that God will reciprocate. Hey, if you're wanting wisdom, God's wisdom, pray, ask. He will give it, James chapter 1. And in this, you, you want God's grace? Humble yourself. Yield yourself. And draw near to God. And God's like, I am loving this. Draw near. It's knowing that God will reciprocate. It's drawing near with a deliberate choice. Cleanse your hands then, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> Again, James is just talking like an Old Testament prophet here. And Jewish Messianic believers knew that when they read this. They knew where he was going. It's a call, I'm using the term, a call to cleanse. To the wandering believer, wash your hands. Might I say, it, you, you need a power washing of your heart. It's the cleaning work of repentance. Old Testament language, speaking as a prophet. Verse 9, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Again, this Old Testament prophet idea. The word I'm using is lament. It's an inward repentance. And by the way, it might even be an outward confession. Hey, I just crossed the line there in the last three minutes. I need to lament. I need to mourn over what just happened. What just happened in me and what just came out of me. I need to repent of that and I need to say that to you, to yous. Lament. Mark Vrokop in his book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, said, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. I love that. It's like acknowledging the war within. And I lament over that. I mourn over that. And again, this is a deliberate choice from our seat. Verse 10, last one. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves. I love that. It just bookends submit. Yield yourselves. And then he finishes with humble yourselves. Again, from a human standpoint, only God can give us the ability to do that and yet engaged with God from a human standpoint, I think it's right for me to say, friend, it is a deliberate choice of yours and mine in the war to yield and to humble yourself. You see, because this isn't about winning your battle. By the way, even if you are right in it and you go about it in the wrong sinful way, it's wrong. 
Yeah, but Doug, I'm right. No, but the way you just behaved is absolutely wrong. And friends, God is interested in what's churning within. That's why James has been saying, your faith is to show. That's why James is saying that your tongue and what's inside, it shows what's in your heart. That's why James has been talking about your wisdom, wisdom from God, it is to show. And here he's making this reference to this whole conversation about fighting and quarreling. Listen, it shows what's going on within. You wanna know why you do what you do, Look at your heart and examine it. And friend, it takes two to fight. It takes two. And there are times disagreements is fine. They can take place. They can handle biblically in a loving way, in a way that honors the Lord. This isn't about everybody becoming non-confrontive. But there's a biblical way and a sinful way. And James is saying God's people... There's too much sinful ways going on in this. You are warring in the kind of a way that brings no glory to God. And when two proud parties whose desire within has been allowed to move into a pride-filled choice to demand from within, and that then is allowed to move into a pride-filled choice to judge from within, that then ends up becoming acted out in pride. The war happens within. Sometimes in asking people, they're like, why, do you, why, why did you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Friends, you have every tool out of James chapter 4 here right now to know exactly why. The question is, is are you willing to examine yourself and bring this up every moment of every day because we desire a thousand things a day where do we go with it? And so God, I'm going to finish there and we're just going to ask for your help. God, we need your wisdom to grow and change. God, we need your spirit, your grace to grow and change. And yet in this, there is an engaged with you thing. God, that doesn't mean we just stand back and we just sit back and we wait for everything to poof, become wonderful. Instead, we're to engage in this process with you. We're, we're to go at the war within us. And God, that starts by us examining the war. I would pray over these people, these dear people here, God, in the house and online. God, I would pray that the Spirit of God this week would be rising this subject up in every one of our minds that we would be examining, what did I just want back there? What just happened back there at work, at school, at home, at church, in small group? God, what just took place there? What am the patterns that I'm seeing in myself on this? God, I just pray, would you then humble us? Would we humble ourselves? Fall dependent and yield ourselves to you and live with purposed thought and intention and thinking. Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. And I might say, quick to examine our heart. 
God, do a work in a way that only you can do. In Christ's name, amen.